Understanding, it is the basis for certainty in our Christian life. And the reason a number of Christians struggled, struggled, in, struggled in life because of lack of understanding of God's Word. But uh, before we uh, go there to our passage, let me tell you a story. A famous explorer, Sir Edmund Hillary, attempted to scale Mount Everest in 1951. And uh, one, of, one of his members, uh, one of the members of his team, uh, perished in that failed effort. Uh, although Hillary uh, climbed higher than any man had previously done, he returned to a hero's welcome in London, England, where a banquet was held in his honor. It was attended by the lords and ladies of the British Empire. Behind the speaker's pla uh, platform were enlarged photographs of the Mount Everest. When Hillary arose to receive the acclaim of the distinguished audience, he turned around, faced the mountain, and said, Mount Everest, you have defeated me, but I will return. I will defeat you because you can't get any bigger, but I can. And return, he, he did it. On May 29, 1953, Sir Edmund Hillary became the first man to stand on uh, to stand on the top of the world's tallest mountain, Everest was conquered. Confidence. Sir Edmund Hillary had it. Well, let me ask you, do we have confidence? Well, I'm not saying that you can climb a mountain like Mount Everest. Um, I'm saying that do you have confidence to live a daily life with, with confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you confident that you can, you can defeat e evil of your life? As Sir Hed uh, Edmund Hillary was, uh, was that he would climb Mount Everest. Now this afternoon, I will call your attention uh, to, to a twin in the Bible. One of the twelve disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, you might not realize that he was a twin but I'm sure that you're familiar with, with this name. But before we proceed, let's begin in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for allowing us to be uh, this, this afternoon. We thank you, Lord, for so much blessing we have for the lunch, and most of all, the, the morning service that we have. But I pray continually, dear Father, that you would speak into our hearts as we dive into one of the, the life of the, the disciples. And I pray that you would speak into our hearts and help us, Lord, to grow in our relationship with you. Don't let us, Lord, leave this place without even thinking of what we have learned or meditate upon it. And help us, Lord, by your grace to grow, to live our lives for you. We commit to you all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Like Judas Iscariot, this member of the 12 disciples is often viewed negatively. Uh, indeed, even Webster Dictionary uh, lists this man's nickname and defines it as a habitual, doubt, doubtful person. The disciple's name, of course, you know, is okay, Thomas. And when we think of Thomas, we, we always 
if you mention his name, we always think of him as the doubting, doubting Thomas. Now, the name Thomas in, is a Hebrew word that means twin. John eleven sixteen, we'll go there later, um, calls him by his Greek name. Anyone of you know? Didymus, yes. Didymus, which also means in Greek, twin. Now, Thomas is a twin brother. Now, this raises the question and brings, us, uh, brings up the question, if he was a twin, uh, if he was a twin, whose twin brother was he? Okay, scholars have suggested several possibilities, but one seems most likely. Because Thomas is associated with Matthew in the list of the apostles in the Gospels, I think that his brother is Matthew, the tax collector who is also became a disciple of Jesus. We know little about Thomas from the reference to him in Matthew, Mark, Luke. However, in the Gospel of John, Thomas is mentioned three times, three different times in the Gospel of John, and he showed that the title, Doubting Thomas, does not do him justice at all. And we will see that. Rather, John presents Thomas as the apostle who gained certainty. He is the apostle who gained certainty. And indeed, the culminating emphasis of Thomas' Thomas's life is the gospel of, uh, in the Gospel of John is not on a note of a doubt, but on a declaration of certainty. Like in our story, Sir Edmund Hillary conquered Mount Everest, and he gained certainty in his life. Thomas was the apostle who gained certainty in his life as well. Yes, he has his doubts, and so do we. But he did not wallow in these doubts, and neither should we. And there should be certainty in our Christian life, but the question is, how can we do it? How can we be certain in our Christian life with our Lord Jesus Christ? Now, if we look in the life of Thomas, we see three steps of gaining certainty in our Christian lives. And with that, let us turn our Bibles to John chapter 11. And we will see here the foundation of certainty. Before we go and reach that, reach that certainty in our life, there should be the foundation of certainty. In John chapter 11, verse 16, let me read that to you. You can follow along with me. John chapter 11, verse 16. And the word of God says, Then said Thomas, which is called Didymus, unto his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. Let us also go, that we may die with him. With him, the first foundations foundational step is loyalty. If you are taking down notes, you can tur- uh, jot it down. The first foundational step is loyalty. If you want to be certain, if, if you have, if you have, you, if you want to have certainty in your life and in your relationship with Jesus Christ, then the first step you must take is loyalty to Him. Simply put. You are committed 
to our Savior. If a person then is to be committed to someone, that person must see the need for loyalty. Thomas clearly grasped that in our text. We, uh, he grasped the, need, grasped the need of loyalty for loyalty to Jesus Christ. Now, in John 11, to give you a little bit of background here, we read that Mary and Martha, you know the story, sent a servant to tell Jesus about Lazarus, correct? If you read that, Jesus was about a day's journey from Bethany. The servant traveled a day, found the Lord Jesus Christ, and told him that Lazarus was sick. Jesus, also, uh, as, as you recall in the passage, stayed where he was for two more days. Then he traveled with his disciples back to Bethany, which was another, day, another, another day's journey. And this accounts for how many days? So we have the travel of the servant. Jesus stayed there for two days. And then the traveling back to Bethany for one more day, which is how many days? Four days. And we know in the passage, how long did Lazarus has been dead when Jesus arrived? Four days, right? This means that Lazarus must have died immediately after the servant left Bethany. The servant did not know that Lazarus had died. He knew only that Lazarus was sick. But by the time the servant arrived where Jesus was, Lazarus had already been dead for at least a full day. There was no hurry. Uh, there was no hurry there, right? If Jesus, if Jesus had rushed immediately back to Bethany, Lazarus would still have been dead for how many days? For two days. And when a person is, da- is dead, then the person is dead, right? You can't uh, do anything about it. So there's no rush there whatsoever. But Jesus expressed another problem also. It's not, it's not just... It's not just the, uh, the situation of Lazarus and, and, uh, and his family, but also there's another problem to his disciples. We see, if you look previously on the, uh, the events, what happened here in the book of John, in John chapter 8, we, we don't have to go there. John chapter 8, verse 51, Jesus was in Jerusalem area, and the Jews tried to kill him. And you can see another instance, the second time, that in John chapter 10, verse 31, they tried again to kill Jesus Christ. And in verse 39 of chapter 10, this is the third attempt that they, wanted to try, they tried to kill and take away the life of Jesus Christ. And that was when he left Jerusalem, what he did. He went to Jerusalem and went across the Jordan, those three attempts, and you see... Those three attempts, the disciples were there, correct? They were there. Those three attempts were still fresh in the uh, memories of the disciples. And so they knew that to go back to Jerusalem meant to go back to what? To stoning. Because that's the death sentence of the Jews. That's not a good idea if... If you put yourself into that situation, that's not a good idea, isn't it? But Jesus, let, uh, let me show you here in verse 7. You're still in chapter 11. In verse 7, it's, Jesus said, Then after that, that saith he to the, his disciples, Let us go into 
Judea again. Now, this is interesting. Now, if you were the disciples, if you put yourself there in this situation, what would you say? I mean, your life is on the line here. I mean, if Jesus told you, let's go back to the same place, you know, where uh, people tried to kill us, right? What would you say? You know, because to return means suicide. And so we see in verse 8 of that the same chapter, verse 8, we read that his disciples said unto him, Master, the Jews of late sought to stone thee, and goest thou thither again? Right? If we, if we try to, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not really ruining the, the past year, but uh, no, Lord, Remember those time, uh, that time the Jews tried to kill you. Not just once, not just twice, but three times, Lord, three times. If you go back there, now our life will be ended. Lord, you don't, you don't need to go back there, you know? That's not a good move. That's not a good move. And so in verse 8, it kind of, kind of indicates that if Jesus did go back to Jerusalem go back to Judea, there were, they, were, they were not eager to, to go with him. Now, where's the loyalty in that? However, in verse, uh, in verse 11, Jesus Christ told them that Lazarus slept already, but the disciples didn't understand what he really meant. They thought that Lazarus was resting in sleep. While he was sleeping, his body would heal itself. So that's good, right? Well, Lord, if Lazarus is just sleeping, so you don't need to go back to, to Jerusalem, to Judea, that's good. Jesus, Jesus did not uh, need to, to return. Then Jesus said to them in, in a plain conversation, Lazarus is dead. Lazarus is dead. And then he added, and I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there that in, in the intent ye may believe. Nevertheless, let us go unto him. Now you see the situation here? Now they, they can't persuade Jesus, right? And probably they, uh, the disciples like talking with each other here in the, in, in, the, in the sideline. It's like, we need to call someone. You know, who do you think we'll be, we will call for us to convince Jesus Christ to not go back to Judea. Who, who will call one of the disciples? Peter. Peter, right? He's the leader of the, of the flock. <laughs> the leader of the, of the twelve. We need Peter here. Peter, come here. Convince Jesus. But Peter was silent. Well, we need another one. We need, we need another one. We need John. John, right? He's the closest disciple of Jesus Christ. He was also called in the Bible the beloved of Jesus Christ. We, well, we need John here. We need John. But John is silent. John is also silent. And probably they are thinking back then that there, I wish there was a way to this situation. But you know, there's someone who speak out. He's not, he's not considered to be a leader in the Bible. He's always silent. But this time, in verse 16, we see in chapter 11, Then said Thomas, 
You know, then said Thomas, which is called Didymus, unto his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Now that's true loyalty. Thomas turns unto his fellow disciples and uh, Mind you, actually, the fellow disciples in, is actually in Greek, if you would look at that, is a unique word, and it's, also, it's only mentioned in that specific verse. It emphasizes commonness. It emphasizes unity and bond that exists between, between these men. In other words, Thomas looks to his companions say, and says, you know, we have common bond, and that bond is our master, Jesus Christ. We must go with him. Uh, we must go with him, even if it means death. We all know that Thomas had never led the disciples. You all know that. That's, that's his life. But here, he takes charge. And Thomas showed his loyalty and true commitment to his master. He showed no doubt no hesitation. He is confidently willing to die with Christ rather than to live without him. And that's who he was. Now, folks, the question is, where is our loyalty? Where is our loyalty? If we are called upon to go even to death, unto death for Jesus Christ, would we, would we have the same kind of confidence? Are we willing to follow Christ, even it's costly. We are so grateful, you know, that, uh, that the Lord gave us this place, right? We sit in our comfortable church auditorium here. We, uh, we enjoy our climate control condition. We sit in uh, padded pews. But let me tell you, this is, not what loyalty really means. Many Christians probably say, Lord, I'll follow you, even to death. And many probably will say that confidently, but there's buts. Uh, don't, uh, you know, Lord, don't ask me to witness about my faith to someone because I might get embarrassed. Don't ask me to invite a friend to church because, you know, because uh, he might laugh at me. Don't expect me to live con- consistently for Christ at work because my co-worker might ridicule me. Don't ask me to give my children to you for full-time service because I have dreams and plans for them. And don't ask me to be pastor, missionary, for full-time worker, Lord, I have already have plan and career ahead of me. If we are going to be certainty in our relationship with Christ, we must manifest full loyalty. It's like an open book. Lord, here, here's my life. Unless we, we are loyal to Jesus Christ, we will never be certain about what we are doing, who we are, or about our plans in life. You know, knowing that you are saved and will not be in hell for eternity 
is one of the greatest assurances that we receive from Jesus Christ. That's good. That's good to know, right? And that's really, you need to know that you're going to heaven with Jesus Christ rather than knowing that you're going to hell. But folks, that's not the totality, the package, or the totality of our life as Christians. That's just not it. There will be times that God will call you to give up your dreams, career, so that He can fulfill His will through your life. A lot of those disciples of Jesus Christ, they left everything to follow Jesus Christ. There will be times that God will call you to suffer so that His power can be manifest in your life. There, and there will be times that God will call you to do something for Him even to death, so that others will know Jesus in their lives. I know someone, she became a missionary in the China, but he died there, as she died there because of being a missionary. We know that China is, is closed. But the question is, are you willing? Are you willing to say, Lord, I am willing. Use me as you see fit. Where is our loyalty to Christ? Thomas showed it. And so can we. And so we have the foundation, foundational of our certainty. Thomas begins with that foundation of certainty, and that is loyalty. He is totally sold out to Christ. He will go and follow Christ even unto death. But Thomas doesn't stop there. He moves up to the second step in gaining the certainty in Christian life. And this step that provides the basis for certainty. And what's the basis of certainty in our relationship with Jesus Christ? Understanding. And for that, let's turn our Bibles to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. In verses 1 to 4, we see here the need for understanding. Now, the Bible says, Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there ye may be also. Whether I go, ye know, and the way, ye know. Well, essentially, Jesus says, I'm going back to heaven. I'm going back to be with my Father. I'm going to prepare a place. I'm going to go back and receive you unto myself. Then you're going to, you're going to go there too, and you know where I'm going. And you know how to get there. I'm just... Uh, Summarizing it, but Jesus encourages this. Um, but Jesus encouraged his disciples. He uh, instructed them about heaven, told them about his coming for them, and referred to uh, re- referred to a place and the way as if they all knew these uh, those things. And Thomas said, "Oh Lord, um, hold it, hold hold just a minute." Well, in essence, in verse five, Thomas interrupts the Lord. 
Lord, I'm listening. I'm listening intently to all your words, but I, I'm confused. I'm, I'm really confused here. I have conflicting information here, and I don't understand how it all fits together. I need more understanding. I need more understanding, Lord. And that's why he, I think he asked here. But you might be puzzled, uh, however, like what's the conflicting information there? There's nothing conflicting information. Well, we must understand that this passage is a part of a, of a whole discourse, right? Um, the upper room discourse, as others would call it. So it's actually started from chapter 13 to chapter 17. And we don't, um, we don't have the time to take all, uh, have the time to take all, uh, to take a look at all the verses. But let's look verse 13, uh, chapter 13, verse 33. Chapter 13, verse 33. The Bible says, Little children, yet a little while I am with you. Ye shall seek me. And as I said unto the Jews, whether I go, ye cannot come. So now I say to you. Okay, so you take note of that. Then in verse 36, Simon Peter asked Jesus, Lord, whether goest thou? Answered, uh, Jesus answered him, Whether I go, thou canst follow me now, but thou shalt follow me afterwards. Now you see the big picture here? In chapter 13, Jesus said that they can, cannot follow him now. And just a few min- moments later in chapter 14, Jesus says, you know the way to a place where I am going. You see, if, if you were there, probably you're like confused. You told me, Lord, um, well, essentially it said, Lord, hold it. You said that we can't follow you where you're going in chapter 13. Now you're saying that we know where you're going and that you are, you are going to go back and take us uh, up there. Lord, I don't understand. I don't understand. And that's why you can see here, Thomas asked, Thomas said unto him, Lord, we know not whether thou goest, and how can we know the way? Now, too often we'll, we'll look the, uh, of those words and conclude that he is doubting what Jesus, uh, what Jesus said. But instead, he's heard what he thinks is conflicting information. He is the only disciple who has the courage to say, Lord, I don't understand what you're talking about. That's, that's essentially what he's... You know, I've, I've been teaching uh, for, for quite some years now, uh, not only in Canada, but also in the Philippines. I'm always, you know, I'm always perplexed. I'm not sure those of you are teachers. I'm always perplexed by students that don't ask questions even though they don't understand the idea or point that I conveyed to them. They will not ask questions. I'm not sure why. Then after the class, I'll ask the students, do you understand? The, an- the answer? Yes. Okay, yes. But after the quiz, they got low scores. The same with projects. You explain to them the, the project, and you ask them if they understand. They answer, yes. But they submit the project, they submit the project, and they didn't do what they ought to do on their project. Now guess what? They get the low score as well. 
Also, when I'm, uh, when I'm teaching and someone will ask a question, and as soon that that student asks that question, you can see the faces of the other students like, yes, he asked the question. You know, they were, you know as if that they, they were glad that, uh, that you know, um, they, they asked that question. The reaction of the students like, yes, finally, someone asked the question. But you see, they, won't, they wouldn't ask. It's, it's like the same in that if you're there in that room, I'm sure that you would empathize with, 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 with Thomas, right? But Thomas said, Lord, I don't really understand what you're, you're talking about. Now, we must realize in life, in our relationship with Christ, that the way to have certainty is to be honest about our questions. Express your questions even to the Lord. And that's how we, that, that's how you and me develop a close relationship with Jesus. In John chapter 14, we see 11 disciples of Jesus. Judas had gone. You know, Judas was not there anymore. With their mouths closed. And I doubt that any of them really under, understood what Jesus was saying during that time. Thomas, however, is the only one who speak out, who requests more understanding. And because of that, in verse 6, we see here, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man, uh, no man cometh unto the Father but by me. The rest of the disciples were there and heard that statement. We know that John heard it because he's the one who wrote who wrote it in the gospel, right? But Jesus addressed it to Thomas. The doubter? I don't think so. The one who, is, who has the curious mind? Yes. The seeker of truth? Absolutely. That's Thomas. Folks, how many times do you come to the Word of God and look to a passage that makes you curious? You have that? You have that moment? Of course. How many times do you fail to understand a passage? Right? We, we're not all-knowing. Yeah, if we'll be honest, we, we are all like that. But how many times you don't understand a passage and you simply walk away with, with, that, with that idea? Or how many times do you go to the Lord Jesus in praying, Lord, I want to understand your word. I want it to, to grip in my heart. Understanding, it is the basis for certainty in our Christian life. And the reason a number of Christians struggled, struggled, in, struggled in life because of lack of understanding of God's Word. Right? That's reality. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, it says, But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and forever. Amen. If we have loyalty, we have foundation in our, of certainty. But foundation does not, doesn't make a house, correct? If you're a builder, foundation, you can live there? No, I don't think so. That's why we need understanding. If we have understanding, we have the basis for certainty. But understanding doesn't achieve certainty. And so we need this last step to achieve certainty in our Christian life. And for that, let's turn our Bibles to John chapter 20. 
John chapter 20. And for the sake of time, we'll, we don't need to read um, the whole passage here, 29, uh, 24 to 29. But the last step to achieve the certainty in our Christian life is faith. Faith. And this is the achievement of certainty. Someone said, Satan is the master theologian. He talked to God, interacted with God, interacted with God, believes in God's existence, and knows more about God's attributes and abilities than, than most. And yet, Satan doesn't love God. Knowledge about God doesn't equal with faith in God. How you get saved, it's because of faith. How you need to go and climb up that relationship and go closer to the Lord, you need faith. And that's why if we want certainty in our life, yes, the import, the, there's an importance of the loyalty, there's an importance of understanding, but here we see that we need faith. Faith is the achievement of certainty. We pick up in verse 24 here in chapter 20. All the disciples were there except who's absent? Yeah, don't be absent in afternoon service. But uh, here, um, Thomas was not there. Uh, he's absent. Uh, th this is actually evening service, you know. Um, he's absent. And I think his absence provides a reason for his not believing what the others told him. Why was Thomas absent? I honestly don't know. A lot of speculations has occurred in attempts to answer, answer that question. But the Bible merely states that he was, he was absent. He was absent. We look to Thomas thinking that he should have believed the testimony of the disciples, right? After all, they all agreed. And because he did not believe, many reacted and, uh, and named him Doubting Thomas because he did not believe. But I think this is a mistake. Why? Because if you look back in Luke chapter 24, don't need to go there, but later probably you can do that. Luke chapter 24, in verse 11, and also same with verse 25, you will read that when the women, praise God for the women, uh, women who first discovered the resurrection, came, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, they came back to the disciples and said, He is risen! I'm just, uh, I thought you would say, He is risen indeed. Uh, not, but none of them, none of them believe the women. Correct? None of the disciples believe that Jesus Christ is risen. Not one of the disciples believed the resurrection because of the testimony of someone who had seen the Lord. Do you see, you get my point here? So there's no difference, difference here. There's no different than any of the others. If we call him doubting Thomas, well, probably we can call also doubting Peter, right? Doubting John, doubting Andrew, and the rest of the disciples. They're all doubters. They all before they doubted because of the massive impact i think the reason for that is they doubted because of the massive impact 
of the crucifixion in their lives. Now consider what crucifixion meant. Just to imagine, the apostles all had been with Jesus during his earthly ministry. For three years, they saw him teach. They saw him perform miracles. They eat with Jesus Christ, yes? They drink with him. Then they saw him mocked, rejected by men, and they saw him condemned, hung, and died on the cross of Calvary. And think of that impact. Humanly speaking, it's all over. I mean, if you put your situation there, I mean, it's all over. If you and I were there, I think we would have done the same. I think. You and I are no different than Thomas and the rest of the disciples. If we're honest enough. But you know what is the most amazing fact of all? Not that all of us are doubters. You know, I get that. That's our nature. That's our nature. We tend to doubt. The most amazing element is that the Lord Jesus Christ humbled to come personally and help them overcome their doubts. That's a good thing and part of it. You have doubts, God will help you with your doubts. And so he did it when, when the ten were present. He did it again, especially for Thomas. Just think of how patient our Lord Jesus Christ with your unbelief, with my unbelief, right? He is patient to all of us. When, when was the last time you prayed something to the Lord and when he, you, you finally, when he finally answered your prayers, you couldn't believe. You couldn't believe that you know, it was an answer to prayer. Well, that's, uh, that's who we are. That's who we are. And that's why you can see here in verses 26 to 29, the reason of faith. A week later, after, uh, after Jesus showed to his disciples, uh, he showed to his disciples again, and this time, Thomas was there. Oh, he's, not, he's now in the evening service. Jesus is giving Thomas the reason for faith. Jesus volunteered to let Thomas touch him. He comes down to the level of Thomas and addresses Thomas personally. Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands. Reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side. And be not faithless, but believing. Literally, Jesus Christ said, Stop your unbelief, Thomas, but believing, believe in me. At this crucial point, Thomas reaches the third step, and that is the step of faith. And that is the step of faith. He now exercises total faith in the risen Lord. And the text never indicates if he did touch our risen Lord. But the, the verse 28, Thomas ad, ad, addressed Christ, my Lord, my God. If you, if you ask me, if a person said that, I don't think he's a doubter. My Lord, my God. And that is one of the greatest, dec, greatest declarations of a person to Jesus who can see, you, you can see in the Gospels. It is the most direct statement of the deity of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Thomas raised to a level of faith, total certainty in the risen Lord. Jesus is the Lord, is my Lord and my God. At this point, Thomas achieved a total certainty in his life. You might ask, I thought faith is believing the unseen. You're right. And that's why Jesus said that blessed are those who have not seen yet believe. But when Thomas achieved that total certainty in his life, he followed Christ by faith till death. And we know that in history. We may not have Jesus Christ tonight, uh, this afternoon. We may not have the Lord Jesus Christ face to face. But we have evidence of the inspired word of God. We have the Bible. We have the testimony of the skeptical men, such as Thomas. We have the witness of their lives and actions for the resurrected Lord. We also can achieve certainty by placing our faith in the recent Savior, Jesus Christ. If we are to be spiritually certain in our lives, we must do as Thomas did. We must have loyalty to Christ. And that is our foundation. We must have understanding in, of Christ. And that is our basis. We must have faith in the risen Lord as the achievement. Now the question, is Christ the center of your life? Are you certain today that you, are, that your relation, uh, that you have a relationship with him? Are you confident that he is your Lord and your God? Are you committed to him? Do you know him? I'm not saying that you know him here. But do you really know him? Do you really know him? Are you like Thomas? Have you achieved spiritual certainty? Thank you for watching the message today. We invite you to join us again every Sunday and Wednesday for more inspiring messages from God's Word. Thank you.